uh, in the word here. We believe in scripture here. In fact, uh, we like to say it this way, that Jesus is our message. So uh, every Sunday, week in and week out, we're not trying to communicate our own ideas, our own opinions, or just go and rants. Uh, but we try to, and, and we aim to, and we do uh, communicate the message of Jesus. And uh, that's going to be true today uh, as well. Uh, today, alongside being Grass Sunday, is also Team Preach Sunday. Uh, this is our second time doing this as a church community. The last time was back uh, in November. And basically what Team Preach is, Team Preach is an opportunity uh, to uh, develop communicators within our church. Uh, but also to give uh, opportunities for seasoned communicators to uh, share uh, within our church as well. And we have both of those uh, 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 groups represented today, but I don't think you're going to be able to tell the difference, quite honestly. And uh, if you're a part of the 9 a.m. service, listen, they brought, uh, well, you wasn't a part of the 9 a.m. service, but I'll let you in on it. <laughs> I mean, you can, you can do both if you want to. I don't have a problem with that, but uh, they brought the house down and really... Uh, communicated the word. It was a great time. So I'm really excited uh, for them uh, coming up here in just a few moments. But uh, before uh, they take uh, the, the, the stage, I want to give just a few housekeeping rules. Listen, as they speak, y'all got to talk back. Yep. Y'all can't just stare at them, okay? So you got to give them a couple amens. You got to give them a, like, that was good. You got to give them a come on, like preach, say it. Yeah, come on now. Let Make it plain, right? Like, like break it down. All that good stuff. You know what it is, right? Give them that. Speak back. In fact, next time I speak, I'll say this. They say, research says, if you talk back to the preacher, he'll speak shorter. <laughs> so either that laugh is like, yeah, right, or that laugh is we're going to try it. Um, <laughs> but listen, I'm, I'm not encouraging us to do that just to do it or for some show or performance. But really... When you, when you respond to the word of God, it's, it's faith connecting with the word that God has placed in their heart. And what happens is it draws that out. If you look at scripture, uh, there's a couple times where Jesus was amazed. And it was, in, 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 it was around the issue of faith. There was one time where he was amazed by a lack of faith. Well, where he was, he's like, look, I can't even do much here because there's such a lack of faith. It wasn't because he wasn't powerful. He didn't have all power. But it was because there was a lack of faith from the people to even believe that he could do what he could do. And so he could only do a few things there. But then there's another time in Scripture, in the Gospel, where it tells us where Jesus was in awe. He was amazed at the level of faith. And he says, look, I hadn't seen faith like this in all the land. And so what I'm saying is that as we respond to the word in faith, it's going to draw out that word even more in them and allow them to communicate the word in ways that they didn't know. And so it's not because they need it. It's not because of performance or show, uh, but it's because it, it reminds us of who God is and it draws out the word in them. So I'm going to pray, and then Esther's going to come right up and uh, kick us off this morning. Father, we're grateful and thankful for your word. We believe your word. We trust your word. God, we thank you, God, that your word never changes. It never fails. It is consistent through the ages as you are. And so, Lord, for these next few moments, as we connect with your word, open up our eyes. Allow us to see, Father, what it is you want to show us. God, open up our ears. Allow us to hear what it is you want to speak to us. God, we thank you for fresh revelation and insight. Thank you for your presence that's here. Make us aware of your presence. May we leave different 
from when we came because we've encountered you. And Lord, as your servants in this place, we say this, speak, Lord, because we're listening. It's in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Come on, come on. Everybody said? Amen. 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 Good morning, church. (laughs) This morning, I want to speak to you all on the topic of unshakable joy. Unshakable joy. You know, recently I had an experience that really caused me to reflect on the nature of joy. You know, just recently, I have to be honest with you, this encounter, ironically, was probably one of the most painful encounters that I've experienced in in quite some time. You see, what my family thought was going to be a routine gift drop-off for a missed birthday party became a sober encounter with a mother of five. Obviously, when our sons saw each other, they got so excited, and they ran to the backyard, and they jumped on the trampoline as this mother took my husband on a tour of this beautiful home. As they arrived at the mantle, my husband saw this beautiful portrait of an absolutely gorgeous family, but he noticed that there was one picture that stood out above the rest. It was in this moment that this mother revealed that this was her middle school daughter who just 12 months ago had committed suicide with tears welling up in her eyes and her voice beginning to crack. She began to describe this beautiful daughter of hers as a picture of popularity, tons of of, of energy, a light, wonderful grades, amazing friends. In fact, the day before, she found her beautiful daughter lifeless. She was playing with her friends and fooling around like most middle schoolers do. And I'm going to be honest with you, I really wrestled with that and struggled in in, in light of this, this devastation that has ripped through this family, this unimaginable reality that seemed to be right next door as I stared at my own two children. I'm going to pose this question, is it possible to still have joy? How is it possible? Can I be honest with you this morning? I know the word encourages us to count it all joy, right? But how can you count it all joy when you've just found out that you've lost your job and you don't know where your next paycheck is coming from? How can your joy be made complete when that person you thought would always be there is no longer there? How can your lips shout with joy when you're worried about failing that class or passing that exam and you're concerned about your future? How can you rejoice in that house that used to be full of so much joy and laughter, but now just feels quiet and empty? How can you embrace this topic of unshakable joy When you just feel like you're just going through the motions of life without any real purpose or or, or direction or goals, can you still experience joy? Well, I want to tell you this morning, yes, yes, you can. You know, as I reflect on this, I think of the Apostle Paul who went through so much suffering and affliction 
So if you are struggling with joy this morning, I want you to lean in in the next couple of minutes as we go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 7. And it reads, but we have this treasure in, in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. I want you to know this morning that you are never abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. And I love this analogy that Paul uses to describe us as the clay pots. You see, this treasure is not the clay pots in and of themselves, but what is inside of the clay pot. So let me ask you a question this morning. What is inside of you? What was inside of Paul that in the midst of all of this affliction and suffering and persecution and grief, what was it that caused him to have hope? I believe it was this unshakable joy. What caused him in the midst of all that was going on around him, to not give up and throw in the towel. Where he tells us in verse 16, as we go a little further, and he says, therefore, do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all do you hear me this morning so we fix our eyes on not what is what is seen but on what is unseen because what is seen is temporary but what is unseen is eternal do you hear me today friends I want to challenge you listen I know that it's hard I know that it's difficult. I know that you may be suffering. But can I challenge you today? Can I challenge myself and all of us to not focus so much on the temporary and not to put all of our eggs into this here and now basket, but to trust in he who is more than faithful. So how do we anchor ourselves in this unshakable joy? We anchor ourselves in the truth of his word. That when everything is going on around us and going crazy and we are experiencing grief, we can know that, yes, we may weep. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning because that joy is not based on our circumstances. Do you hear me this morning? If Paul had have looked all around him for joy, he would have been utterly hopeless. But he knew in order to get this unshakable joy, he was going to have to tap into a power that was greater than himself. Will you tap this morning into that power that is available for you? Anchor yourself in this word that when you are struggling financially, you can know that my God promises to provide for all of my needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And that when you are feeling alone, you can know that you have a friend that sticks closer than a brother. So how do you anchor yourselves in this unshakable joy? Friends, you anchor yourself in the word of God. Somebody give God praise this morning. 
Come on, guys. Wow. God is so good. All right. So this morning, wow. Come on, Jesus. So this morning, I want to talk about faith. Right? In Hebrews 11.1, 1, it says, now faith is the confidence in what we hope for and for the assurance of things we don't see. Right? In other words, faith is having confidence in what we are believing to see, we will see. Right? The confidence, though, is not rooted in, in us. It's got to be rooted in God. God is faithful, and what he speaks will come to pass. Right? So if God said it, you can count on it. Now that we have that definition of faith, though, we have to be careful that we don't just rest on faith as an idea, but that we embrace the fact that faith is an action. Today, I just want to see that faith is more than an idea, but it's an action. And sometimes that first act of faith may require us to step away. Faith requires you to step away. Prime, uh, Paul being a prime example, again, a man who wrote most of the New Testament was once a man killing followers of Christ, right? And he was redeemed. On the road to Damascus, he was blinded by God. And after three days of being blind, not eating, not drinking, God sent the disciple Ananias to baptize him. And then after three years, then he began his ministry. See, you may be like Paul right now, a new believer, or somebody wanting to step into that belief, but you're not sure. You're on the fence about it. Can I tell you this? As you're stepping into your belief, you may be coming out of some sin right now or a sinful lifestyle. You see, God sent Ananias to Paul. So as you're stepping out, don't let the enemy tell you that you're going to be alone during that time. God is going to send someone closer than a brother. He's going to stick with you. He's going to send a community for you. This community right here. Come on, belong groups are coming up. So don't feel like you're going to be all alone. God's going to provide somebody to be there with you along the way. You may also be a Christian for a long time. But again, the same principle applies. If we're not actively listening and getting into God's word, how can we talk about Jesus, right? He's not an old friend that we reference to whenever we're trying to look or sound Christian, but he is our father, right? We should be holding hands with him every step of the way. And see, relationships are built with time. Now, I'm not saying wait three years, before you go and tell people about your relationship with Jesus. What I'm saying is take the precious time to step away, to build a relationship with Jesus, to read his word, commune with him. Build your house on the rock before the waves come. I don't care how you do it. If you're in the middle of a storm, it's a little bit hard to build a house. What happened if you, before the storm, step into his word and build that relationship with him? Isaiah 41.10 says, do not fear for I am with you. He says, do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So as you step out, let him guide your steps. Let him uphold you. Let him make the call, right? And then after we have stepped away, God will then require us to then step out. Faith requires us to step out. We go to the story of Peter in Matthew 14, verses 28 through 31. He's, they're on the waves. He says, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come out to you on the water. Come, Jesus said. Then Peter got down off the boat. He walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out with his hand and caught him. He said, you have little faith. He said, why did you doubt? So let's pick that apart, backtrack a little bit. Jesus said, come. If Peter hadn't previously spent three years with Jesus, do you think he would have known his voice? He just said, come. Let me say this. When my wife and I are in public settings, and sometimes I say, honey or baby, she turns her head. Why? Because she knows my voice. We've built that relationship. How can we even know if it's God calling us to step out if we don't know his voice? See, God's voice is found in his word. It's found. His voice is found in the quiet place with him. 
right? We can't hear God if we're replacing it with the other noise. Noise like some, some friends or a lifestyle that may not be in your best influence. And see, your faith, though, your faith is going to grow as your level of relationship is going to grow. And can I tell you this, though? Even after you know his voice, stepping out may look scary. But this is where the courage part of faith comes in, right? Courage is not void of fear, but it is evident in spite of fear. Fear says, I think I'll stay in the boat. Fear says, but I like my friends and I like this lifestyle I have. It's comfortable. Fear says, I don't need to read his word. I've heard enough of God. But courage says, even though these waves are high, I'm going to step out in faith. Courage says, even though this lifestyle I know is comfortable, Lord, you've already made a plan for me to prosper, right? And for some of us, courage may look like getting in his word more. Why? Because he has a call for you that you're only going to find in his word, right? Your friends and your family, they may love you, and they're going to give you good advice, but your friends and family, they're not God. They may be wise, and it's good to seek wise counsel, but sometimes the way God is trying to speak to you is through his living word only, right? And by his living word, by his faithfulness in your own life, God has proven himself time and time again and again. And his word says he will uphold you and he will give you strength. Not your friends, not your family, right? Not a podcast that you listen to and not just once a week on Sunday. He's going to be there for you daily. So pick up your cross and lean in. Pray without ceasing. And here's... Here's the deal. You may not get the feeling like it's all under control, but let me tell you what, that's your flesh wanting to know every detail, right? But the problem is our flesh is sinful, and eventually our flesh is going to try and make a plan that's not laid out by God. But God says he's got a whole plan laid out for you to prosper. So you may not feel ready, and that's okay. God didn't ask you to handle it all. He didn't ask you to have everything prepared. He asked you to come he says, have courage, step out, and know that the same God who made the heavens and the earth is the same God who wants to have a relationship with you, who wants to commune with you and talk with you and see you grow. He wants to see you grow in faith as a child of him. And Isaiah 41.10 says, do not fear, for I'm with you. He says, do not be dismayed. Don't fall off. I'm your God. I will strengthen you and uphold you, not anything else. He says, I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I love it. Oh, man. I know we're coming off of uh, Mother's Day last week. Shout out to all the mothers out there. Uh, <laughs> you're welcome. And one of the things that um, has recently happened to me is I have become a father. Uh, four months on Thursday. He's four months old. And it has been the best. I'll tell you what. It is the best thing ever. Uh, I, I don't even know. It's, it's the greatest. But one of the things that's happened as I've become a father, I've, I've, oft, uh, I've started to reflect on my own childhood, on the way I was raised, right, on the things that, that my parents did that I can take and say, okay, I like this. I want to apply this to my own child, right? But also, as I'm reflecting on my childhood, I'm recognizing who I was as a child more. Uh, one of the things I was, and I'm going to use this word, I was inquisitive. I'm going to use the word inquisitive. <laughs> With that, I like to ask a lot of questions. I wanted to know the answer to everything. I wanted to know why for everything. And the dialogue would go, with my parents would go something like this. Caleb, go clean your room. Why? <laughs> why? <laughs> Caleb, go outside and play. Why? Caleb, go put your shoes on. Why? And, and 
this, this common thing happened after I said that word why, and I think many of us might relate to this, uh, whether as a parent or a child, and it would go something like this, because I said so. That's all right, yeah, <laughs> because I said so. So today, I don't know why I have to put my shoes on, still. <laughs> I asked you that question because I want to pose this question of why, and specifically, why is God good, Okay. We say this all the time, right? What's that, that saying is, is God is good all the time, and all the time, God is good. And ever, you ever ask the question, why? Why is God good? We're going to look at that real quick, all right? The first reason God is good is because of his grace. His grace. John 1, 16 through 17 says, out of his fullness, we have received grace in place of grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. God, in his infinite goodness, gave us Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins. He didn't do this out of deciding one day that he wanted to be good, right? God, good is not an attribute of God. Good is who God is. It is, as we would refine it or define it in, in human terms, it's his DNA, right? God is good. It's not an attribute. It's who he is. Psalm 145, 8 and 9 says, The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all, and he has compassion on all he has made. So grace is the process of receiving what we do not deserve. I am so thankful for that. So the first reason God is good is his grace. He is giving us things that we do not deserve. The second reason God is good is because of his faithfulness. Faithfulness is simply this. God doing what he said he's going to do. Oh, man, I am so thankful that God does what he says he's going to do. 1 Corinthians 1.9 says, God is faithful by whom you are called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. It is through God's faithfulness that he restored us back to him through sending Jesus. So why is God good? Because he is faithful. The third reason that we're going to cover today that, that God is good and probably my most favorite is God is merciful, right? My fa- one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible and probably one of the best pictures of the gospel throughout the entire scriptures is in, found in 2 Corinthians 5.21. And it says this, God sent him who knew no sin to become sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. What does that mean? It means God made Jesus the perfect and spotless man who had never sinned nor would ever sin to become sin for us. What's that mean? God treated Jesus as if he had committed every sin by every person who would ever believe and then turns around and treats us like we live Jesus' life. That is mercy. When God sees the cross, he sees you. When he sees you, he sees Jesus. So that in the script, right, back to the scripture, so that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. That means God put all the punishment, all the punishment, all the pain, all the sin on Jesus, and then turns around and treats us like we live Jesus' life. Can you be thankful for that? Is he not good for that? This is mercy. God not giving us what we do deserve. Why did he do this? Why did he send Jesus? Because God is good and his mercies endure forever. He, in his infinite goodness, gave us everything so that we can be restored in righteousness to him through Jesus Christ. 
So then that question at the beginning stands proud. Why is God good? First, because he is gracious and gives us many things we do not deserve. Second, because he is faithful and he does what he says he will do. Didn't we sing about that earlier? Won't he do it? Yes, he will. (laughs) And because, third, because he is merciful, it does not give us what we do deserve. That is why God is good, is because he gives us these things that we do not deserve. He doesn't give us the things we do deserve, and then he is faithful to do the things he said he will do. So if you're going through something, if you're dealing with something, and you're wondering, why am I here? Why, why, am, why are any of us here? I'm, I know I'm here because God is good, and I can see things in my life and in the past and what he has gotten me through and the things he has delivered me through, the things he has blessed me with and the things he has taken from me, and I am thankful today that I can stand here saved and delivered. That's why God is good to me, because he is gracious, he is faithful, and he is merciful. Thank you. Hallelujah. Uh, I'm not as high tech as my co-speaker, so y'all have to give me a second to open my word and turn a page or two. Uh, I'm going to need that extra second because Esther took a couple extra minutes. I want that back on the clock, Pastor Mike. Uh, Can I be real with you all for a second this morning? I need to be a little bit transparent because when Pastor Mike asked me to be a part of this esteemed group, I was going through a little bit of a a unique season in my walk with the Lord. You see, I gave my life to Christ in 1999, and so I've been walking with him for a while now. And we've had our highs and we've had our lows. We've had our victories. We've had our defeats. But this season was unique for one reason, and that was because on the outside, I had no reason to be struggling. My job was going great. I'm married to this beautiful woman up here. My kids are finally starting to act right. <laughs> Holly. My money It's still a little funny, but it's not as funny as it normally is. And, um, but at the same time, there was this pain welling up on the inside of me, and I couldn't quite put my finger on it. There was this anxiety. There was this oppression. There was a lot of sleepless nights, a lot of stress that I felt physically in my body, and I didn't even know how to deal with it. I didn't even feel like I was worthy to talk to the Lord about it because I'm like, Father, things seem to be going so well. Why all of a sudden am I feeling this kind of way? And when I finally be able to break the silence and bring it to my heavenly father, he told me that it was a gift. A gift. uh, A gift of desperation. And and as we began to walk through this gift that I was still struggling to appreciate, he gave me three individuals. And I want to give it to you like he gave it to me. So the first one was blind Bartimaeus. His story is captured in the book of Mark chapter 10. And what we see about blind Bartimaeus, we meet him as Jesus and his disciples are on the way to Jerusalem, and he is sitting on the side of the road begging for alms. This is where he would have to be his whole existence on the subsistence of the generosity of those who are passing by. And he gets wind, he gets word of the fact that Jesus is coming to town. And so he begins to shout out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. The crowd tries to quiet him, which emboldens him even more to shout out. What the Lord showed me about Bartimaeus' example, and one that we all need to understand, is that when we have moments of desperation, we need to cry out. 
We need to cry out. We need to open up our mouths and say, Abba, Father. Bartimaeus recognized because of his desperation who was able to do something about it. The Bible says that he's not just crying out to some God who doesn't care, but the word says that he knows that we are mere dust. He's seen our unformed substance. He's been tempted, and so he recognizes, although he didn't sin. And because of that, because of that, that we could approach his throne of grace with boldness to find mercy in our times of need. Desperation teaches us we need to cry out. The second person that the Lord brought my attention to to teach a little bit about this gift was a woman. We don't know her name, but we see her story in the book of Luke chapter 8. She is the woman with the issue of blood. And what we learn about her is a couple of things. One, we learned that she had this condition not for one year, not for two years, but for 12 years, bleeding. And this condition under their Jewish law required her to be in isolation. The word says that she spent everything she had to try to get it taken care of. This is what drove her to desperation, the duration of how she had to struggle with something. You know, there's no expiration date on God's promises. Are you thankful for that? There's no expiration date on God's promises. It was her desperation that drove her to go through the crowd. And the Bible says that the crowd was actually crushing Jesus. It was so thick on that day. But her desperation pushed her through the crowd because she recognized that if she can just grab the hem of his garment, that she would be made whole. You see, the desperation allows us to forget all the false pretenses, that there is nobody else. There's some pain. There's some drama. There's some hurt that only Jesus can heal. I can't go to my wife. I can't go to my parents. I can't go to my bank account for some of these things. And the thing that was so unique about her situation is that the desperation uh, distinguished her from the crowd. What do I mean by that? When Jesus felt the touch of her, he said, who touched me? The disciples were like, well, Jesus, you're surrounded by people. You're hemmed up on every side. I could have touched you. He said, no, no, no. Somebody touched me because power went out from me. But that's the unique thing about desperation because it causes us to take hold of Jesus in a different way. It causes us to come correct. When I come to church, I'm not worried about what somebody else's is worse. I'm not worried about the audio equipment. I'm not worried about this message because I'm coming to get a word for him myself. I'm coming to cling to him with a hand that's going to be the unchanging hand that can do something about my situation. This is what desperation causes me to do, to forget all this other stuff because I have an audience of one. It's a gift. It's a gift. It's a gift. And then lastly, 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 he took me to another woman in Luke chapter 7. We don't know her name. The Bible just calls, calls her a sinful woman. But in this context, Jesus is at a party. He's been invited by a Pharisee, and this woman feels like she's going to crash the party. And she does so, and she does so in an amazing way. She begins to wash his feet with her tears, to dry them with her hair to anoint them with perfume. What this woman teaches us about our desperate moments is that we have to worship. We have to worship. Desperation brought her to a point of worship. And what I love about this woman that distinguishes her from the other two that we talked about was that her desperation was her own fault. 
You see, what the Bible tells us is that when she came onto the scene, she caused the other party goers to question Jesus because she was so sinful. He said, if, he, if this man is a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this is. If you look at the original Greek of that word, it's really literally he would know what substance she is, what stock she comes from. We don't know what this woman did, and I, I appreciate that fact because it can be any one of us because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all made our mistakes. Maybe I shouldn't have popped off like I did. Maybe I shouldn't have said what I said. Maybe I shouldn't have clicked that link. Maybe I shouldn't have gone to that place. Maybe I shouldn't have been with that crowd. You know what it is, but don't allow it to define you. Allow it to drive you to the foot of the cross about the one that can do something different. Because as he was talking to this woman, one of the things he said to her He used a story. It was like, she loves much because she's been forgiven much. It is that desperation that causes us to really appreciate what he's done for us. Because every single body in that room and every single person in this room still has the same need that she did. That if we truly desire to be a new creation, then we need to allow our desperation and the depravity of who we are to drive us to the foot of the cross because we are all in need of a Savior. This morning, I want to ask a question. I don't know if you've been walking with the Lord for 17 years or if this is your first time, but I want to make sure that everybody in this room under the sound of our voices has had an opportunity to know Him him for yourselves. I gave my life to Christ when I was 16 years old, and I would never change it. It has been an incredible journey, but one that has been worth everything, and the best is still to come.